Good evening. It is good to be together to worship God this evening. What a wonderful, wonderful time this evening is in the life of our congregation. It's wonderful to be able to work and serve God together, and it's wonderful to be able to see the opportunities that God unfolds before us. Uh, you probably have already noticed the insert that is in the Sunday bulletin. It listed the various men that are being appointed tonight as additional deacons, but it also listed the ministries of which that they are a part of. And two of those men are going to be serving in a television ministry. And you're probably thinking to yourself, we don't have a television ministry. That's why we're appointing them. But let me tell you a little bit behind the scenes to catch you up. It's really new to us too. Uh, but then we'll, you'll see where it is and then you can be praying about this and we'll let God's will be done in this. For several years in Somerdale, Alabama, Billy Lambert has been preaching on a television program there. A very wealthy individual came to him a few years ago and said, my wife and I have decided we want to make a huge impact on the world before we die. And he said, what do you have in mind? He says, we want to put you on all over America. And so that television program began to be put on not only all over America, but also every night of the week. Uh, probably just in airtime alone is, is over half a million a year. And so now uh, Billy's plate is full trying to produce that many shows. And so he has come to us and said, we're not asking for your money. We're asking for your help with the Mountain Juliet congregation produce one show a week and allow that to be aired. Uh, it covers most of the states, if not all of the states in America, and about 170 nations around the world. It really is an amazing opportunity. They keep track of the actual baptisms that take place that they know about as a result of the program. And right now it averages one every week. There are thousands upon thousands of Bible correspondence courses that go out on a regular basis. I don't know how many times in the 14 years that I've been here, and I really mean this, I don't know how many times you've met me in the foyer, and I guess hundreds of you have said, I wish everybody in America could hear that sermon. Well, brethren, it looks like that a lot more people than what we probably expected are going to start hearing some sermons. Uh, that's just the beginning. Uh, we've got to figure out how to do this. We've got to figure out how to produce it. And, uh, and of course, they're willing to walk with us through this. And Lord willing, we'll just walk through the doors that he opens. They're good and righteous. And we encourage you to be praying about that. And we're thankful for Jeremy and John and their willingness to jump into uh, this ministry as deacons when uh, really it's going to be a lot of work on their end just to figure it out from the beginning because we can't teach them. It's new uh, to us also. Be turning, if you will, to Acts, the sixth chapter in just a moment. We'll get there, but it'll take us just a few moments. You know, there was a cruise line that hit a reef, took up on water, and began to capsize. This is two years ago, and perhaps everyone in this room has seen this scene or something like it many times. There was over 4,500 people on the boat. It wasn't that far off the shore, so almost everyone survived, but there were 32 losses of life. But the shock to pretty much everyone around the world was that Francisco Chitinto abandoned the ship. It's one of the largest ships in recent era, modern era, to ever be abandoned. As a matter of fact, while there were still people trapped and drowning 
and many others waiting for lifeboats. Witnesses saw him in a boat going to shore with a towel draped over his head. The Coast Guard of Italy came to him on the shore and they begged him to go back for no other reason than to, these are the words they would say, honor your duty. I want you to let those words ring loudly in your mind right now. What duty is it that God gives you to do? Do you honor your duty? Of course, not long after that, he was arrested because what he did is illegal. It's wrong to not fulfill your duty. Oftentimes, we look at the very idea of a captain of a ship and we think about navigating a, a ship. But it's at times like this that we're reminded that really what that captain takes the duty to perform is moving people from point A to point B and being responsible for their safety. It's easy for us in the life of a congregation to think, what do elders and deacons do? And maybe you see a deacon in one particular ministry and you say, well, that deacon does that ministry or that deacon does that ministry. But you know, in the most important way to look at this, really what deacons do is deacons are supposed to be leading people. That's the most important work. Now, definitely, there are specific ministries involved, but there is nothing more important that a man can do than to love souls. And as we look this morning, to seek to reconcile souls with their God, help those that are saved remain saved, and help those that are lost find their way to the God that will reconcile them. Leadership is a beautiful and powerful study in the Word of God, but it's always going to be all about God and all about people. And all the various ministries involved are just opportunities to get people from point A, which is earth, to point B, which is heaven. And ultimately, that ought to lead us to asking, or at least considering this, appointing deacons qualified to lead ministries of reconciliation. This morning we talked about how important that reconciliation is, but think about God gives qualifications that he says, I want a man to be able to already, before he's ever appointed, to be able to fulfill these things in his life. Why? Because in that he should be qualified. He should be set up, if you will, for success to be able to fulfill those. Now, please understand. Not everybody's wired the same. Not everybody's given the same gifts. Not everybody's given the same ministry. So we're not saying that every deacon will look alike or every ministry will look alike. I like what Albert Einstein once said. He said, everyone is a genius. But if you judge a fish on how its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it's not very good. My kids thought that was a bad word, so I was helping you parents. <laughs> but you know, isn't that, isn't that so true? You know, there's a lot of things that a fish can do, and a lot of things a fish can do very well, but if you ask the fish to climb a tree, all of a sudden he's inadequate. And so we realize that, that out of close to 50 deacons, there are going to be some that do one thing really well that another one can't do it really well. And, and we're not saying, hey, every deacon go out there and your work is going to look the same and your ministry is going to look the same. As we pointed out this morning in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, God doesn't expect that. The body's made up of different members. The body's made up of different ministries. But what we all want to do is say that if each of us does our part collectively as a whole, we collectively move the body 
in reconciliation. And in that, it is a very, very beautiful thing. I want to remind you this evening of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see tremendous growth in the life of the church. In Acts, the second chapter, we see 3,000 souls baptized into Christ. That's quite a start. But then as you flip your pages throughout Acts, you see that there are thousands upon thousands added almost every page until we get to the sixth chapter. And in the sixth chapter, we see growing pains. And I want you to notice that how they solve the growing pains is figuring out how many leaders they need to lead the size of group that they have. Look, if you will, in Acts the sixth chapter and in verse one, where he says, now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, so that's the growth that was taking place, the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in daily distribution. And so what the 12 apostles did is they didn't say, well, we're gonna lay down the reading of God's word and prayer and we're gonna go out and we're gonna wait on these widows that are hungry. Instead, they said, we're going to remain fulfilling the role that God has given us. They didn't appoint additional apostles. They appointed additional servants to take care of the ministry that was in need. And this particular time, the ministry was in need was their widow's ministry. They had wheel, meals on wheels that they needed to be taken care of on a daily basis. And they told the church, you find seven qualified men that we can put over this business. And they did. And you know what the result was? Here's what I want you to see, because all day long, there's probably been a little bit of nagging in some of your minds when you think, I don't know if my ministry really has a lot to do with reconciling people to God. And I want you to notice how powerful this is. They freed up the apostles to do what God gave the apostles to do. In other words, everybody in the church was doing the part that God gave them to do and drop down and read verse seven. After they were appointed and after they started taking care of those widows, notice the reconciliation that was taking place in verse seven. Then, meaning after this was handled, then the word of God spread. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Brethren, we hope and we pray and we're so feeble. We can't predict tomorrow. We don't know what the rest of this evening is going to be. We simply try to bow and submit to God's plan. When God opens doors of opportunity, they're righteous. We try to pass through them. And we know this. We know that there are ministries that need help. And so tonight, there's not a certain goal that was set out to say, how many deacons are we going to appoint this time? The work was laid out and said, what men are already working? What men are qualified? And what men have worked in these areas? Now, isn't it wonderful if verse 7 is the result of what we do tonight? Where in a few months and a few years, we can say, the Word of God really spread. The number of disciples really, really greatly multiplied. And we even see some from other religions that have been brought to Jesus Christ. I hope that that is the motive and the goal of every one of us here tonight. We are growing in ways, and in other ways, we're having growing pains. I want to give you a report, and if you're a guest tonight, 
I can tell you straight up, this isn't bragging because these aren't really the best of numbers, except, well, there's one that would be our best, but what these numbers do is just tell us what numbers tell us. Every number represents a soul, and we realize that in some areas we're capped, and our elders and several deacons and other men have been having a lot of meetings the last six months to try to figure out what to do with these areas in which we're capped, and the numbers will reveal. They'll show you where we've been locked for three years straight, and uh, I'll just let you see for yourself what they are. The shepherding model, I believe, is really proving to be effective. You see that from last year to this year, the growth has gone up on Sunday mornings from 713 to 751. But you see, we're the exact same number. And the only way we got up to the exact same number was I had to average in this morning's number that was really good. And that's the only way we got to the exact same number that was almost the same exact number, also in 11 and very similar in 10. And you know, we all know that we need to be prayerful. Uh, we've maxed our capacity and uh, we're trying to figure out uh, what to do with that. But I would encourage all of you to be praying, not for numbers sake, we're talking about for souls. Uh, we've got too much, too many workers here. We got too many people around us that need the Lord for the reality to be, we don't have a place that souls can come and regularly find a comfortable seat. On Sunday evenings, you see that we're similar situation at 586 and 585. Wednesday nights, we have a wonderful growth there and the glory be to God for that. And we appreciate all the work that Tim does in both of these areas we've mentioned in Bible class, 504 up to 618. Also your generosity and let's be sure and give God the glory. The only way we can give is because God first gives to us. And so over $3,000 increase in your regular weekly contribution from 2012 to 2013, and that does not include the additional 154,000 that you gave in several uh, one-time special contributions. And uh, obviously, if you average that in, uh, the, in with it, it would be close to 40,000 a week. But here is also something that glory be to God, we are so thankful. Uh, last, in 2012, there were 42 baptisms. Here in 2013, already thus far, there have been 77 baptisms. About 47 of those have been youth. And we're thankful for the youth that have grown up here and devoted their life to the Lord. And several of those youth that have been baptized did not grow up here. And we're thankful that they have come and devoted their life to the Lord. But that also leaves another 30 adults this past year that have been bought, brought to Christ. And I look across the audience and I see many of you sitting here tonight and glory be to God uh, for your decision to become a Christian. 56 responses in 12, 47 and 13. Newcomers were about 66 and 12 and 130. And uh, just so you'll know where this number comes from because it's a, a little bit misleading, not intentionally, it's just the way the database is kept. When a young person grows up in this congregation, they are not considered a member until they are baptized. And so of those 47, let's say that maybe 30 of them grew up here. Well, they would show up in that 130 of newcomers. And so maybe that number is more like 100, uh, give or take a little bit of what we would normally think of newcomers, uh, just so you understand the numbers. Also, uh, you young families, we'll just be honest and say we're a little disappointed in you this year. <laughs> those of you in 2012 did your job well. 24 babies born in 2013, small group of only nine. We need to work on that in 14. 
And then on a serious and sober, but yet also rejoicing because what all of us want to do is to die faithful in the Lord. And so there's something to rejoice in this. And also there's something to grieve in this, uh, that there were probably as many deaths of our members as the Mount Juliet congregation has ever had. I do not know that for a fact, but that would be a fact in recent years for sure. And, and maybe maybe forever uh, with 16 deaths this year. It just seems like at every turn uh, we, we were having a death of one of our loved ones and, and uh, we rejoice for them as children of God. And uh, we grieve uh, for this room that is full of individuals that are grieving and especially this time of year. And so we think about these numbers that again, it's not to study numbers is to study souls and the work that God gives us to do. And how can we do it better in 2014? How can we literally increase the population of heaven? We know that it will not happen without leadership. It will not happen without dedicated and wise leadership. And so we hope tonight that these 12 additional men join a group of dedicated men serving under an eldership that is dedicated uh, of men that are devoted to doing all that God has laid out for us to do. With that in mind, and, and this is going to be much quicker than what I would like, but it is what we need to do with the time that we have. I'd invite you to go over to 1 Timothy, the third chapter. And I want you to think of this maybe in a way, some of you'd say, well, I've thought about it this way many times. And perhaps some of you could honestly say, I've never thought about this this way. Tonight, as we look at these qualifications, that the Lord lays out, think about, we're, we're thinking about having ministries that lead toward reconciliation led by deacons that have their eyes set on the big picture of where the church together moves towards reconciliation. And then we say, well, how can they be qualified? Well, God gives the qualifications. We, we did not come up with this list of the first part of 1 Timothy 3 for elders. We didn't come up with this part of 1 Timothy uh, 3, the second part for deacons. In other words, it's the Lord's church. Christ is the head of it. And he organized his church. And this is his plan for organization. Now, here's the part when I said maybe you haven't thought about it this way. Instead of us studying this tonight to say... Only, now it's fine to look at it from this standpoint, but only to look at it and say, well, if a man fulfills these, he can serve as a deacon. That's true, but please understand there's a much greater depth to this study. And that is this, the man needs to be qualified in these ways. He must be qualified in these ways because he would need these characteristics in his life to fulfill the duties that God would give him to do. And so as we study this, and I, I just want you to be thinking about why does God ask a man to have these qualifications in his life? How would that affect him on a day-to-day -day basis as a deacon? And deacons, I encourage you to study this because every one of these qualifications, in a sense, God is saying, you need to maintain this in your life if you're going to be the deacon you need to be because you need these qualities in order to fulfill your task. And so what we'll look at is some are listed in positive, some are listed in a negative sense, some are listed about the family, and some are listed in a testing or evaluating sense. And we'll just kind of organize these, if you will, hit the high points for your study, and then uh, the lesson is yours to study more deeply. Let's read the text together. Verse eight, likewise deacons, or deacon means servant. So these men that are going to serve, likewise deacons must be reverent 
not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let them also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Then he speaks about the wives of deacons, but probably also of elders. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, as we think about the home, ruling their children in their own houses well for those who have served well, so that's evaluation, those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. You notice in verse eight, nine, and 10, each of those have, uh, have a positive characteristic that a man must have before and while he serves as a deacon. Number one, he is to be reverent. The idea of reverent is serious or dignified. Doesn't mean he can't ever crack a joke, no. But it does mean that he conducts himself in such a way that as he represents the Lord's family, he represents the Lord's family in a dignified way. If someone were going to go out and for lack of a better term, do business in your family's name, would you want them to always be silly? Would you want them to always be sarcastic? Would you like for them to always be goofy? Nobody here would say yes to that. If you're going to represent my family, I would like for you to know the times that it is to be dignified and serious, where you know when it is the expression to get down to business. Listen, God doesn't want you representing his family if you do not know how to be reverent. There's a time and a place for everything. A man that's going to be able to do the business of the Lord the way it needs to be done needs to know when is the time to be reverent, to be dignified. The second thing that we see that's positive in verse 9 is a description of faithfulness. Now, Paul does a beautiful job of going in depth, holding the idea of not turning loose, holding the mystery, speaking about the gospel, the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. And so here's a man that not only is faithful in his perception by others, but notice he's faithful down to his very own conscience. He knows the dark corners of his life and he knows that he is faithful to God. He's holding the mystery of the faith, faithful. Verse 10, the end of verse 10 gives us another positive, being found blameless. Now notice, it's not the fact that the man has never sinned. If so, no one would be qualified to be a deacon. It's the fact that whatever would be brought up today that that man is not found living that life of sin. I was shocked one time, not here, when a man was put up to serve as a deacon. And the note was written about a sin that he had committed one time 25 years ago. This man had been a faithful Christian. He, this man repented and came forward at that very time and from there never looked back, was a faithful Bible class teacher, a hard worker in the Lord's church and someone actually wrote the note and said, I remember that time he sinned, he is to be blamed. Brethren, that's not the meaning of the word blameless. 
Blameless is having to do with who you are today. No one would ever be qualified to serve as an elder or deacon if all you had to do was look back and say, I remember one time. I remember one time 25 years ago, or I remember one time last month. No, it's what is the active part of the man's life today? Is he to be found blameless? In other words, that man, an individual come up and say, what about this sin? And he said, that sin's been dead 25 years ago. Now let's look at some of the negatives. Notice in verse eight, we have three of them. One is not double-tongued. That has to do with hypocrisy and lying. When an individual cannot say the same things to all crowds, there's a problem. When he does not treat people the same way in all crowds, there's a problem. He's not qualified to serve as a deacon. But think if he does do that, how it blesses the ministry that he's a part of. People respect him and they trust him. Also in verse eight, not given to much wine. This is one that is somewhat difficult because we know that the wine that was used in the New Testament times was quite different from the wine in today's time. At least some of the wines were. Say, so, well, how do you know that, preacher? In John, the second chapter, when the first miracle took place, Jesus changed water into wine, and they had already, according to the scriptures, drunk much in verse 10. Jesus never sinned. He never once was a stumbling block. So even though they had consumed much of this beverage, we know that they were not even close to being intoxicated or the Lord would not have made more wine. He not only made more wine, they drunk all the wine and he still did not cause them to stumble. Friends, you can't do that with today's wine. If a wedding party got together today and you could honestly say they have drunk much wine and now a guy's going to come in and he is going to bring much more wine and he's not going to lead any of them to the point of intoxication. It's different. Now, where does that leave us today, though? It definitely is pointing to the fact we know in scriptures that drunkenness is a sin. A man that's going to have his life led by substances as a man that's not qualified to lead the church. But also, we know how important it is to make sure that his life is not led by alcohol, but that his life is led by the Spirit of God. Now notice the third one, and that is not greedy for money. This goes in very similar principle to the one just mentioned above. What is going to lead your life We've studied a lot in the past few weeks, if you go back just a couple of weeks, a lot about, about covetousness and about contentment. A man that's going to be content can do a great job leading a ministry. A man who is driven by money will find himself not having time to do ministry because he's wanting to go out and constantly be making more money. Or a man that is being driven by greed will oftentimes use his influence in ministry for personal gain to his business or even to misuse the resources of the church to his gain if truly he is being led by greed in his life. So when we look at these three negatives and we turn them to the positive when we say, if a man does not do these things, what is he and how does that bless his ministry? Think about these three if you want to turn them the opposite. If a man is sincere... If a man is always sober, and if a man is content, he is setting himself up to do great things in ministry with a heart that is set upon reconciliation. But let's think about the man's home for a minute. In verse 12, we see... 
two characteristics. And you know with each of these, we could go so much deeper. But let me just mention this. One, we see that it is a man who is married and he has one wife. The actual Greek would be a one woman man. In other words, not only does he have one wife, he is faithful to the one wife. It's not that he has one wife and he flirts with every other woman in the world. He is devoted to his one wife. When individuals see that you've dealt well with the most important areas of your life, your family, then they will trust you to deal well with other things like ministry. Notice the second thing that he mentions there is ruling, the idea that he is the head of his home, ruling his children and his house well. We have an evaluation there with the word well. How does this leader of his home lead his children in his house? He does it very well. Well, that man is being set up, if you will, to do a good job at leading ministries well also. But then there's qualifications of this man's wife. And if you will look in verse 11 and let's mention those. The first one is the first one that was mentioned also to the deacon himself, and that is reverent. A man's wife can be a great support to him or she can be a great hindrance to him in the work of the church. And so we see here that the woman also needs to know when it is time to be serious and dignified. And the second is to not be a slanderer. And that's important for men to not be slanderers also. But we need to make sure that we recognize leaders will always have information that needs to be treated with reverence in a dignified way instead of as a slander in a gossiping way. And whether it be the deacon or his wife, the elder, or his wife, a minister, his wife, a Bible class teacher, their spouse, listen, we need to be wise. We need to make sure that we love people and love the Lord and always do what is right with the information that we have. Temperate is self-controlled. And finally about the wives, he says, faithful in all things. That's very similar in principle to what he's asked of the husband in verse nine, holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. It's just that he says it in a much briefer fashion here, saying faithful in all things. And so then finally we come to verse 10 and verse 13 the passages about evaluation. And notice in verse 10, he said, let these also first be tested, then let them serve as a deacon. In other words, many times there have been people, and let's put it bluntly, they're wrong when they say it, but there have been people that have said, you know, this man doesn't really fulfill all these qualifications yet, but if we put him in office, I believe that's the spark he needs to really start growing. That's wrong. The man is to first be tested. In other words, the man is being evaluated. What is he being evaluated to become? A deacon. What does deacon mean? Servant. In other words, first, has he already been a servant in the work of the Lord? Second, he needs to be tested, evaluated in the qualifications. Has he already been serving? Has he already fulfilled the qualifications? Listen, you won't ever find in the scripture that the office of a deacon is developing ground for anything. 
If you think, well, you put him there and he'll develop into a strong Christian. No, he's already supposed to be a strong Christian. Well, if we put him there, you know, really, that's just a developing ground to become an elder. Find that in the scripture. You don't find it. Listen, a deacon is not some minor league team to develop for something else. A deacon is a very important task that is to be filled by men who first have fulfilled these qualifications. And then last tonight, I'd like to take your attention to verse 13, where he talks about serving well. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves. He mentions two things here. Notice they've served well, which is interesting. You know, the word deacon means servant. And so let's read 13 in that way. For those who served well as servants, obtain for themselves, number one, a good standing, and number two, a great boldness in the faith. When he says a good standing, it always raises the question, is it good standing among the church or is it good standing in the sight of God? And I don't know how we could distinguish that because if the church is who the church needs to be, it's going to be the same thing. In other words, if a man serves well as a deacon, of course, God is going to look down and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If a man has served well as a deacon, a church family would be a pretty pitiful church family if they didn't appreciate his service and in that, he would be in good standings. I think one thing that Paul is trying to show Timothy here is to say, listen, your life as a deacon is going to have an impact. God is watching and the people will be impacted. Is God going to say, well done? And are you going to bless the lives? Let's face it. I'm not complaining when I say this and the elders wouldn't want me to say this to you as complaining, but let's just call an ace an ace. When a deacon doesn't do what they do, usually there's some elders or other deacons or ministers that have to come up and shoulder underneath the load and try to at least help the ministry get by until we can find a man that'll do what he needs to do. Well, is an elder going to look at that deacon and say, that's good standing. How could he and be a man of integrity? Is God going to look down at that deacon and say, that's good standing? No, God can't. He's just. In other words, God calls the shots as they really are. It's an important task. It's not a developing ground for anything. It's an important task to say, I will do the task that God has called me to do. And then this is beautiful. That man is going to grow in his faith so much that he says in great boldness in the faith. You just can't serve as a deacon the way you need to serve and not grow in faith. You see, you're not put in it so that you can develop, but yet when you are put in as one who's qualified, you can't help but develop your faith. And how beautiful is that? Listen, there's not any of us here that have arrived. Every one of us has room to grow. And I assure you, your preacher has as much room to grow as anybody in this room. But tonight, tonight we study an important office, the office of deacon. In a few moments, we'll see men commit their life to that work. I want to encourage all of us to be praying for them. I want to encourage all of us to support them and to work along with them. And I want to encourage all of us to realize that it's not about the man, but it's all about 
reconciling people to God. Tonight, are you reconciled to God? Are you one with God? Are you saved? And if not, what could we do to encourage you and help you? If you're ready to be